Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another show of Goal Lounge. This is The Cool Down, and today we have Wanga Denga, Lolo Kale. We've got an awesome representative, a United representative, and who else? The Liverpool representative. I'd like to say the traditional big guns before the money invaded the league. Um, that's kind of where we're at, guys. What's up? How's, how's things going? No, we're all good. We're all good. We're all good. I've got my, my customer, Devil's Peak BA here. Uh, I'm all good. Yeah. Hey. International break over. At least now we can go back to the prim. <laughs> yes, I'm so it's happy. Still, about it. but, it's, but it's still odd, but you could get a one of the big players getting injured today or tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Just, just, hey, just, just, pray that, just pray that you're your key player. Okay, at least uh, Obama Yang, your key player, uh, he played yesterday, even though they lost. He's probably flying back. But uh, the European yes. guys, the South Americans, are playing um, tomorrow morning. Yes, I think for, from. From a Liverpool perspective, we, I mean, we, it pretty much got as bad as it could get for us. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, Wonga, you hanging on. It can't get it worse. <laughs> it can't get worse. I, I don't think, maybe the worst thing it that can happen is Klopp maybe sprains his ankle and he can't play and he can't be there at the sessions or something. No, don't say I that. Don't, don't say that. Well, that like, that's the worst thing. Yeah, man, I feel like everyone is talking about how Liverpool don't suffer any injuries. And now all of a sudden, like, well, look, at universe has heard you. And now we're just going to make sure that happens and see if they can come out of this alive, which is uh, not, not okay for everyone else. But on that note, guys, the first topic that we're going to be discussing today, because we had no Premier League games to cover, we're going to look at the international report based on what has happened already. And yes, the, comic, uh, the, the topic that we need to discuss and look into are the injuries and the COVID situation. All these players that have gone away, like we said, and they've come back with injuries or they've been inf- infected by COVID. Wonga, what do you think yeah. about this? And we, we criticized how poorly the schedules were planned. Overall, do you think this is okay moving forward? Yeah, look, I think for me, it's at the end of the day, I think it just must be done. You know, it's the, the soccer must well, life needs to continue, you know, uh, and I think guys are just trying to find a way around this COVID situation because you can't just wait, sit and wait, sit and wait. Um, the livelihoods of people at the end of the day does matter. Um, and also, I think if you if you look at it, in terms of soccer, I think you have many guys are itching to play, you know, and if, if they can, if there's like some sort of surety that, you know what, they can do it, then they must, you know, they must continue. But I mean, look, now you, you go and you do it and then maybe Mo Salah, I mean, now he's got, uh, he's got COVID. That's a good for but, but, other, but, but, other people, but, but, but not but, him. But he, got, but he got it while at his brother's wedding, man. That's how you got it. Yeah. COVID. Okay, but Selo, as a man, not but, allowed to celebrate his, his brother's wedding. I don't understand. No, 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 in um in, in Egypt um and arguably Africa is at the wedding. Everyone apparently people were hugging and kissing him. Obviously he got COVID, but they were kissing him, bro. They were giving him the virus. Yes, I told you, I'm not saying he wasn't good. Yeah. He must not go. I'm not saying he wasn't good his brother's wedding. He must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, 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 look. Look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, that's what I, that's what I'm that's that's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, life must continue. You get what I'm saying? And people yeah. are just realizing that that look, like if you if if you look at the stats now, the virus, yes, many people have died, but it in effect it is, I mean, compared to any other virus, it's not really that bad if you think about it. The only the only problem is that they have no cure. If they look at it like that, they really have no cure. Um, so I think people will be fine in the day. They'll do the international breaks. I just think what's killed us is not the virus. I think what's killed us is the fact that we've actually done all these lockdowns and stopped, and now people are trying to catch up so that we don't over. So that next, so that we finish this uh, this season when it was supposed to be finished, and the other seasons don't get. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah but that's, that's the only thing that's killing us. I, I, I hear what Wong is saying because you you're trying to, like for instance, these Fcon matches would have happened. Earlier, and then Fcon was supposed to be in 2021. Yes, mm. it got it got postponed, and then the U and then what's this thing called? Um, Nations League was supposed to be already done, and they were supposed to starting. I think it was going to start the 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 World Cup qualifiers. Um, probably okay, only next year. Probably yeah, next year. So yeah. you know, 
those things we're not like cramping games and stuff, but 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 I do understand the fact that the injuries, the injuries is something with the intentional break. That is that is exactly exactly, and, and that's that's what break. I wanted to mention. Uh, break. So, that's what I wanted to say. You've got Henderson out, you've got Sterling out, you've got Doherty out, you've got El Nini out. By the way, do you think El Nini went to the same wedding? Um, I don't know, possible. Maybe he's like friends with the brother. <laughs> I don't know because like all these guys. That, my my whole point about this whole scenario is. From a product perspective as to what the Premier League has on offer, currently we're already restricted with the type of football we are watching because of how we've been impacted with, with the scenario and the, the current climate of things. Now they've forced the fact that they need to try and make international games somewhat appealing. They've taken the best players out, but now they're going back to the Premier League and they're not playing, which affects the game that we actually love watching, which is the Premier League. And that's the issue I have with this whole scenario. No, true. No, I completely understand. It's, 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 it's rubbish, man, because... You can just imagine like a, a team like Liverpool, you know, Joe Gomez and Henderson um, and Robertson. So three players have gotten injured in this international break for, for Liverpool. Liverpool. And Salah has come back with COVID. So that's four. No, I'm, 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 saying, I'm, saying, I'm, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying injuries. Um, COVID, let's just pocket a little side and say, Salah, you were waiting. You know what I mean? You're on the side. That's your fault. Uh, no, no, no. The, it's, an, it's a variable. You got to include it. You got to include it. Ah, man. But the, yeah. I'm saying the, the injuries are the ones that are obviously the ones that are that are bad. And then the, and then you look back at the Premier League. Premier League only has three subs. You know what I mean? That yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's 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 taxing on the body for for the players. You can't make the substitutions. Yeah. Um, you know, your um, I saw Southgate coming out and saying that he wants to ask the Premier League to to to, have, to ask them to have five subs. Um, going forward, but it won't happen. Um, unfortunate, but they must revote again because players are going to be injured, guys. Yeah, yeah players are going to be injured. But let's let's talk about if we're going focusing more on football. One thing I want to ta- talk about from an international report currently, what's happened? The whole Jack Grealish debate. There was a discussion as to whether or not he should be included in the England squad, and now all of a sudden the conversation has changed, where the English fans are pretty much shouting for the fact that the team needs to be built around him. So what yeah. do we think about that? Is that something that they should do going forward, especially in the context of international football where it's somewhat seemingly less about the philosophy and more about the reaction to your opponent to get the result because it is tournament football? No, man, listen. Uh, the, the, the touches that you had in that Belgium game, I only watched the first half, but then I went back to watch the highlights for, for the second half and there was this touch that they passed him the ball and he just clipped it over Munia and then he just went. No, man, Jack Grealish is... He, he's 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 argue, arguably the the top three um, player and probably the, the the player that's on form. I said he's the Premier League player player of the season so far, um, and it looked like it in that match. You know, he looked like the best player in, in the in for England. Um, and Harry Kane was okay. He was you know um, thereabouts. You know what I mean? But but Jack Grealish took him out of Aston Villa, put him in a different team, and he just looked amazing. I think they definitely need to build their team around him, but also. You need to change their formation, man. That's that. That's a big part. Their formation is isn't ideal right now because the whole playing with a back three, you know, the wing backs. Um, I think as England, I think they should just change the manager. Really, uh, obviously, yeah, the manager. Obviously, <laughs> manager must go. But but with the, with the talent that they have, you know, when Sterling and Rashford come back, yeah. you want and Sterling to be playing, but you also want Grealish playing. So you could you could play um, Grealish as a number ten. And then Stilling on the right, and then Rashford on the left, and Kane up front. And then you can have um, either Declan Rice and Jordan Henderson, or a Mason Mount um, in the midfield, or a Winks. You know what I mean? But then when you're now having the back three with the wing backs, you're taking away an attacking threat up front. You know what I mean? You still have um, Jaden Sancho on the bench. You know, so I feel that they should change the formation, and Jack Grealish should be on the uh, on the starting lineup. I think, yeah. Look, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think Jack Grealish does. Uh, deserve to to start, um, but now when you building building around a player, um, I think we must now. I, I wouldn't be too sure now. What what does one mean when we when we say that? Like if I in my if I understand it right, if I look at something like uh, Barcelona where they're playing, they they build the team around Messi. Um, so you basically you basically putting people around him that will basically uh, complement. The way he plays, I mean, so that the team can, um, yeah. so that the team can obviously, I mean, uh, 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 perform to their best. 
someone like I mean, if I look at England, I don't I don't see them doing that for one player. I mean, they've got a lot of talent in all in all positions. I think everyone knows that. Uh, maybe that maybe the defense, the, the centre back positions are the ones where that are, are questionable at, at the moment. But I think all all around, I think they they're pretty decent. Jack Grealish, I think, would fit in nicely to that thing. But I don't see them building a team around him. I, I think I, I think I do see them giving him freedom. I do see them mm-hmm. giving him freedom um, on the field, you know. I think building... I, I'm not too sure what, the, what uh, the exact definition would be to build a team around a player, but I'm, I'm 100% sure that building a, t- a team around Krish is not what they'd want to do. I think, yes, giving him his freedom to play, express himself, would be the right thing to do. But not say, no, sure. um, like, you're the main man. Yeah, and, and, you know, everyone that's, else that's must kind of what... you. That's kind of what I was alluding to was the fact that when, you know, the English, they like re- reacting to things. You know, one minute, yeah. you know, Satan's around the corner, next thing, the guy's the saint. Forget about Satan. My whole thing is that when you do kind of, guys, whose sound is that? There's making like a weird, weird thing. Yeah, it's, back, it's not mine. Uh, or, hello, hello, anyway, hello, hello. What I was saying is the whole point is that. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Um, the whole point is that um, when when you do start building your team around, you know, you become very dependent on the player gets three, then you're pretty much screwed. But what I do like about a Gray Lish is that he can't, his preferred position, he's come out saying is that he's a number eight. He can play a number 10 if needs be. But for Villa, what we saw last season, despite not wanting to, he camp on the left side of the number six, which is pretty interesting. So for me, I don't know if it's a, a thing where there are a lot more players. I know your, your smart players are always very adaptable adaptable, sorry, and can play in multiple positions. But I also think it's something that's happening with regards to future football. If you're looking at guys, you need to be more fluid. It's almost like a futsal approach that you need to be able to read the game in a certain way that players can just move into the open spaces. I mean, that's clearly what happens with Liverpool's front three. So I think for Gareth Southgate, yeah. it is finding the important combination. Personally thinking, I think when they do Harry Kane up front, I think a lot hinges on, on his performance and it's almost like the team take a step back and they're like, wow, we're waiting for Harry Kane to score. And if he doesn't score, we don't win. And I almost think when he doesn't you, play, they have more options and more guys have to step up to the plate. But you see, you see the interesting thing, right, is that last year, right, um, when, or let me say not last year, maybe the last 18 months, right, where England actually made it to the Nations League um, what Final Four, right, they beat... So they, they, they were in the same um, group as um, Spain and Croatia, right? And they obliterated them. You know, they were top of the they, they were top yeah. of the pool, um, and they had a front three of um, Sterling, Kane, and and Rashford, and was terrorizing all defenses. Mm. You know what I mean? Where where there was that whole thing with Kane, similar to how he does it at, at Tottenham, where Kane comes a bit deep to get the ball, and he just played wide to, to Sterling or, or Rashford, and their pace would just be too much for the defenders. And they would score the goals. So I think I, I don't know like why he went away from, from that type of play that did well for them to get them to the Nations League final four. Now he was playing with Mason Mount and Jack Grealish as the white men, whereas these two guys don't even have that pace that 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 Rashford or or, or Sterling has. Then he's got Jaden Sancho on the bench, but doesn't start him. He could be utilizing his pace. You know what I mean? So so it it, it kind of. It's kind of interesting that you know you you were winning games, beating a Spain, beating a Croatia, but then now yeah. you drop you 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 go you go away from what what allowed you to win, you know, which which is, which like is- yeah. For me, I like just to add on Silla's point. I know it's uh, going a bit off, but that I also I also agree on that thing in terms of people, uh, coaches. Uh, when I mean for me, that's the obvious thing. You you've got something that's working. Liverpool did it for a whole season. It was solid. Next game, yes, we do it again. Next game, we do it again. You can't break it down. We do it again. Next game. I can't understand why Gareth Southgate would play those guys on the wing. It's like I always said, people when they're playing soccer, sometimes they they they're trying to play um, chess and guess the other guys move and you know calculate that. But you've got your team, your best thing that's been working. The obvious things would have been there. Put your pace on the wings, uh, and it worked so well for for England. I mean, at times if they do that. I mean, when they do that, like like Silo says, they can beat anyone on their day. Yeah, they and, can. and, was, they uh, and, and Wonga, to, to, to that point, it's interesting because if you have players that can do the damage, then play to their strengths because then there's no point reacting to, to an, an opposition sort of setup. 
But if you yeah. don't have those players, that's when studying the opposition and knowing how to counteract their strengths becomes super important. But on before we move on from the, the international sort of section, one thing I think Celo should talk about are the, the Ramos penalty misses. Oh, man. Oh, guys. Wow, man. That guy, I can't believe it. Like the first penalty call, he tries to take it and then he hits it to the left. Goalkeeper makes a good save, but it wasn't to the corner. It wasn't to the corner. It wasn't powerful enough, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the second one, he thinks he's clever. He drops and then he stops and he looks at the goalkeeper and he tries to do <laughs> Penelka. And then it just, it doesn't even go up, guys. It goes about like this much from the ground. Like, it wasn't a Penenka. It wasn't a Penenka. I saw it. And it I even think Lukman, Lukman could have taught him how like, not to do it. He tried. And literally, the goalkeeper dived and the goalkeeper was already on the floor and he was just waiting for the ball to come into his hands and just do this. And, and the look on Rebus's face. And that was the, that, the, in that match, guys, he was breaking the record as the most appearances for a European player. And he goes and does that. He wants to do it in style. Sujo Ramos oh. wants to do it in style. Even when you can see the guys on the mission. No, the guys on the mission. He wants to, he wants to, I'm, I know he hasn't probably said it, but definitely he wants to finish as um, the top goal scoring defender. And he wants to make sure that that lead is going to be there for 20 years or 30 yeah, years no, to come. So he wants to do it in style. That's such a poor penalty, man. Like, it was, Surely it was, it was he wants to do it in style. He's arrogant and nah, man, he deserved to miss. But I'm actually happy that he missed. We'll but the keeper, the keeper taught him. You know, fair play to the keeper. He played mind games. He's like, listen here, bro. We yeah. know you're not smart. You're not a smart footballer. I'm going to keep it. That's kind of what he did there. Well, I enjoyed that's it. True. I enjoyed it. Um, that was funny. I, I like that we left off on that note because we know Ramos, by the way, being linked with the move to PSG uh, at the end of the mm. season, possibly on a free. So we'll see what happens there. But... The next one I want to talk about involves Celo a lot, and also Wonga to a certain degree, is the topic of sporting directors at a football club. If we analyze the base, there was a table that recently came out. Wonga's busy puffing his cheeks because he knows this is going to be some hard questions that he needs to answer. If we're looking at the, the table from a net spend perspective, and you know a Liverpool fan loves talking about net spend only because we're on the, the better end of the side of the table. We've got Man United that have reached the billion mark in spending. And from a net spend perspective, they've spent 742 million pounds. In terms of where they are at you, at the moment, from having, you know, Ole Gola, Solskjaer, um, Ed Woodward, and pretty much their, their status, do you think a sporting director would help a club like a United? By definition, a sporting director is someone, for those of you who don't know, pretty much helps... Uh, steer the ship, keep the philosophy. The manager isn't really crucial. The manager is crucial for getting results. But if the manager or players leave the club, there's still direction. And uh, that's by definition. Silo, what do you think? Oh, Amen. We've been crying out for a sporting director since, since Fergie left. Um, because, you know, when, when, when Fergie was still there, right? It was Fergie and David Gill. That was the combination of Man United. Simple. You know, those guys just ran the, they ran the ship. Pro- properly, David Gill was was a quite a, a good football administrator, great at negotiating, and then Fergie obviously. Then there was the, obviously the scouting network within United. Um, there were some good signings, obviously some bad signings. Not all the signings would be perfect, but still, generally it led to a winning team. You know, what I mean, those signings that they made um, added yeah. to the team. Then Fergie left, and literally, cool. David Moyes comes in, right? Yeah. First yeah. One is David Moyes can't can't attract. Um, signings. Um, he tried to sign. Oh man, guys, the list is long. You know, Tony Cruz, um, Thiago Alcantara. You know, what I mean, he, he. You know, there's all these names that 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 were rumored to, to be to be um, um, that may not were interested in in the in that first season of David Moyes, and and he didn't get them. Even even an Ender Herrera, for instance, that, that was a rumor that wanted Ender Herrera, and we didn't get him that that season. And when we eventually got him, I probably um, a season a season after that. But a sporting director would have helped in terms of that because then last minute they signed a Fellaini. You know what I mean? Whereas that yeah. that's not a player that you're trying to attract if you're looking for a Cruz or a Alcantara and then and, and, a, and a Herrera and then you sign a Fellaini. So a sporting I like, director- fact, I like I like the fact that you mentioned Fellaini because Fellaini can be defined as pretty much United for the last seven years. 
Fellaini's sort of players is the one that's carried. I mean, he, I think he made over 100 appearances, which is something crazy. But the reason yeah. why sporting directors is a necessary conversation centering around an Arsenal and a United is because if we're looking financially and we're looking in terms of how things have been spent, you've got an Arsenal that have spent something like, I think, third most in terms of the list, but they've only brought mm. in, I think, a quarter of what they were spending. So they're very low on the list. So, and they, their sporting director situation is a bit of a shambles, similar to that of United. If we're comparing them mm. to a Chelsea and we're comparing them to Liverpool, who in Chelsea at the moment, ironically enough, have Peter Cech as a sporting director in combination with uh, Marina, how do you pronounce her name? Kranovskia. Um, they're doing fantastically well because they're loaning all their younger players and they're bringing in, that in as a source of income when they flog them. So their net spend has been fantastic. And Liverpool, the same thing with Michael Edwards, have completely dominated that sort of space. And they kind of transformed every other club across Europe in terms of how they should approach football, running a football club as a business. So the, the yeah. question begs to both of you again, where do you guys go from your clubs? Are you happy right now? What, 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 what is the solution for you? For me, I think if I look at um, look, I think Arsenal they also they also new to this uh, sporting director role thing. I think the time when Wenger was there, they even asked him um, what he what what is. I read it. I never heard him say it, but his response was, um, "What is a sporting director? Is it someone that um, is at a at a is, is someone who stands on the road and directs the traffic?" That's what he was saying. That's what he's comment on. Yeah, so that's what he's comment on a sporting director. So obviously, Wenger in that time thought that look, it's it's um, you, it's 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 obviously not. It doesn't. He doesn't feel that he needs it. Um, but at, if you looked at that time in, uh, I think in the, I'm not. I think I'm not sure about. They said in the US. I don't know Germany. Every every team at that time had a had a sporting director. If you look specifically like uh, Dortmund as well, I think that Michael Zork, Bayern Munich had. Samuel Hamid. If I pronounced it correctly, maybe I got the L and the M confused, but yeah, somewhere there. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to stop you, Wonga. We, we need to say we so today we had Jason on. We've got Marcus here, and today we've got Nicholas Killas. My my work yes. associate, my football associate. Thank you, Nicholas, for joining. Oh, <laughs> Nicholas, how's it? <laughs> Sorry, as you were, as you were. Yeah. So, but looking at it, I think um, if I if if I look at the way those the way the way the Germans, the guys who've been doing it for a while, um, understand the director's role, they say that the managing director is someone that he, he's he's between the chairman. And the coach, the coach continues his job. So the coach is basically, literally, the coach of that team, and the other teams are still there, and they also, they, the other coaches are also coached by their team, and the, the sporting director overlooks all of that. So to him, even though yes, the the, the biggest team there is mm. the is the the first team, but. Nonetheless, they're all teams that he has to look after. Obviously, they all have different importance. He looks after that. He's the one that develops the philosophy um, at the club. And I think even if you look at it at, at Dortmund, the most interesting thing is the one they have, the Michael Zork, the one who's there still today, he's the same the same guy who brought in uh, Jürgen, um, Jürgen Klopp uh, from yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. He's the same guy that brought in Usman Dembele. When, uh, he's the same guy that brought in Robert Lewandowski. Um, and Bombay, now he's Bombay, gone. Bombay, yeah, now he's gone. But the, the Dortmund is still Dortmund, and I think that's the why the Germans have done it. They've seen that they look. I can't now because the the the, the managing role is now it's a flimsy one. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow, um, um, if Silo prays hard enough, Ole will be gone. Um, tomorrow we could have uh, we could have uh, Klopp gone as well. And the, the the bad thing is that for me, I think that that's very important now as a manager as a as a sporting director that if that manager goes, he can't now take the whole club culture with him. And now you guys are screwed. You have to start from space one. Um, yeah. I'm not too sure if you yeah, yeah so but, that's that's for me but, the importance but of also for, for for every for every good sporting director you get a rubbish one like Eric Abidal who did rubbish yeah. um, at Barcelona. Um, he's the one who oversaw the purchase of Usman Dembele, Philippe Coutinho, Griezmann. He's the one who did all these signings, right? Um, and obviously, who let not not let go, but was under his watch. And 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 um, Sandro uh, Rosselli, um, Sandro Rosselli. 
no, wait, but but the president that that just left now, it was it was under the two of them that 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 the rubbish signings were happening. And that's the thing is that for every sporting director, you get a rubbish one as well. You but know what I mean? To complete the yeah, to, just to finish yeah, just to finish that point is that for me you could. I just wanted to say that Arsenal, for me, they're still young. I think it's only what they 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 probably three years in it now, four years in it um, with. Um, <laughs> I think they're sure. Hey, Scott, Scott, they, Scotty, they're... Scotty with the best comments as usual. Marcus, I mean, I think yours aren't bad. Yours aren't bad, but Scotty's always got like an underlining tone to his. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so, yes, I think you know. So for Arsenal, it's they're still new in in the in the, and you're still new in this role, um, and so I'd still have to wake. I think I have to give Ed, Edu a, a, a chance to also prove himself as well. I think, but you can see like when you get a sporting director who's a certain nationality also leans towards his nationality. You can see the Brazilians that are coming into Arsenal as well. But uh, I, I just think, I think, yeah, I just think, I think only time will tell. I mean, with like, same thing with Ole, give him time as well. Mm. Um, Arteta, give him time. Arsenal have a sporting director, at least. Do you know what I'm saying? At least they yeah. have a sporting director. Well, the lines are still blurred there at Arsenal. They're still blurred. But yeah, sorry, Selo. Yeah. But at least, nah. but at least, he is, at least he is there. You know, what I mean, Edu is there. Yes. Uh, obviously, the yeah. previous guy was that German guy that they had, um, who who signed Aubameyang, whatever. Um, and then obviously he's there. But at least they've tr- they they're trying to move in that direction. Um, yes. and then is Man United don't have a sporting director. Edward is a Edward Wood is an investment banker. Mm. He's done amazingly well on the commercial side of things, you know, but on the, on the football side of things. He's done poorly, you know, and that's where a sporting director would help in terms of running the football operations of the club because you're you're the commercial the commercial side. Um, Ed Woodward has done well, you know. I mean, he's brought in you know the sponsorships and everything, all, all of that. But you need someone um, who's that link between the coach and the and 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 and, and the person who's running the club from a from a, from an administrative point of view, you know. What I mean, so that that yeah. that is the problem. And obviously, as I'm saying, is that at least Arsenal are trying to have. They have an Edu, you know, and they had the German guy before, before Edu, um, yeah. after Wenger. But Man United don't have anyone. Yeah, but let's, you know what, let's focus on some of the things that are happening at, at United because guys, Nicholas, Marcus, they, they're saying things along with Scott. If, we, if we're looking and we're focusing on United at this moment in time, if we focus on this last transfer winner that has happened, there has been a bit of a notice in terms of where Edward has or... Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, the, the United guy's taking a bit of a seat back, and he's he's actually letting other guys come to the forefront because there's another guy currently in the role who's who's stepping up. And if we are focusing on what Ole is currently doing, I suppose the legacy in which he is leaving behind, which somewhat cannot be compared to the the previous guys in the David Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, is that he has brought brought in more youngsters, which is somewhat you could say, okay, that's, that's a better way to go about it. But but the thing is, those people aren't his signings, eh? That's the thing. Those are not all his signings. Those are the club signings. Ahmed Diallo is a player that Man United has been has been um, watching for for quite a number of years since he's been with Atalanta. Mm. So it's not all his signing. All they wanted Jaden Sancho, and then these guys obviously they signed a Pelestri from from Uruguay. Um, he plays under he was playing under Diego Forlan in, in, in Uruguay, and then they signed um, Ahmed Diallo, who's, who's Who's um who was the best um under 18 in the in the in the um, Primavera League, which is the, the basically the city of under 18. He was the best player in that league. So it's not Solskjaer signings, but yes, the signings that Solskjaer has made, um Aaron Wan Bissaka, um, you know, a, a Maguire, these first team signings that he has made, those are signings where he's kind of brought in guys who are in the, let's say early to, to mid 20s, uh, early to mid twenties. Which is good because it's something that the other guys weren't doing. You know, I mean, you look at a player, you look at a person like Van Gaal. Van Gaal just wanted to sign these stars, and then also Mourinho also wanted to sign these stars. So Solskjaer, I'll give it, I'll give him that 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 credit and say he signed a Maguire mid 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 twenties, mm-hmm. even though he, it was over overpriced. But he signed a, a person in the mid twenties, and Aaron Bissaka, Bissaka early twenties. Okay, Donny van der Beek also early twenties. You know, what I mean, those players that are signings where they can do well for Man United going forward. It's just also another part where they are lacking is the selling part. You know what I mean? Yeah. You need to yeah. sell players to make money, right? You know, yeah. and, and you still have a full Jones on your books and a Marcus Rojo. That that is rubbish. That's that crazy. Is, 
That is crazy. The, the, sporting, the sporting director, he must definitely, definitely, he must, he must know football. You can't have a sporting director who doesn't know football. You can't do well, that. Well, or here's, someone here's who's the, in the transfers. Yeah. So if you take Michael Edwards from Liverpool perspective, he had a bit of a footballing background integrated with business, and this is why it's flourishing. It's also yes. taken a manager like Klopp, who is open to the ideas of working with the sporting director. I think the big key yes. here is when you're looking at what Scott has mentioned, you know, if we're taking PSG as an example, um, they've got a sporting director, but they haven't delivered on the Champions League yet. They've won everything else in France because, let's be face it, they're playing against toddlers in that league. Um, but when you're taking that into consideration, I think there's one thing that has to be highlighted is that moving from traditional sort of football game in terms of where we came from, where we saw Roy Keane coming in with scissor tackles and it was okay, to kind of how the modern game has trans transpired in terms of like this new shape of understanding in terms of you've got the football aspect that still needs to be focused on. But football in itself, because it's become so global, the business aspect is just as crucial to maintain the success on the pitch, unfortunately, in terms of bringing in the, the function and the revenue. So if you've got someone who understands that side and you can work with someone, be open to the idea as a manager, then it does make your life easier. And we've seen that with the club. The thing is with United is there's still this like power struggle. They can't, they're holding on to what their cultural background is. Where Ferguson has left such a legacy, the expectation is that whoever steps in needs to maintain the club as it was as opposed to yeah. being open to a new idea. The funny thing about all of this is Patrice Ever came out saying, I think a couple of months ago, a week ago, I can't even remember, him saying during the transfer window, he was getting a phone call from a sporting director of another club just to get a hold of their, their main guy at United to make a transfer happen, which is bizarre. Why are they phoning Patrice Ever? Because they can't get a hold of a Man United director. I don't understand that. That is very funny. I just want to, I just want to touch on what, what Nicholas is saying here. Um, yeah, it's one of the strategies that Man United have now adopted. Um, obviously, Nicholas has just mentioned the, the players that we've signed. We, you know, we signed a left back from Real Madrid. We signed the right back from um, from uh, Barcelona, and we signed a striker from Atletico Madrid. Uh, we signed another striker from um, Tromso uh, in the first division, in Norway. Um, and then we signed a Sunderland striker. We signed a Man City striker as well. But that strategy now, right? It's the strategy where Chelsea have been doing for years, right? Chelsea signed all these amazing youngsters, right, from all over Europe, um, and they, they come into the development, and Chelsea just bosses the, 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 the FA Youth Cup. They've probably won, what, probably three out of the last five years. They lost to Man City, though, this year, and they're in the final. Now, Man United has adopted that strategy, right, where they've seen they've been taking a pummeling from Man City and Chelsea, because Chelsea and Man City have these strategies. And what happens with these youngsters is that they have a chance of making it to the, to, the, to the first team or you can sell them for a good price when they, become, when, they, when they get to the age of 21 because they actually are good and you loan them out at the age of about 19 or 20. So Man United has now moved away from the strategy that they had previously where they probably mostly had only British um, youngsters on their books and actually getting the, all these European kids. Um, they, they even signed the French, um, French under-16 captain from, um, I think it is... Uh, I forgot what his name is, but they signed the French um, under-16 captain. So they're doing the strategy that, that Chelsea and Man City have been doing for the last three years, hoping that obviously some of them can actually break through, but then the ones that don't break through can be sold. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's the point, I suppose, that we're trying to make here when we're looking at a sporting director is should a manager realistically take this on board when he's coming in to deliver results? Because let's be honest, Football manager now, his job is the stakes are a lot higher. He can't afford, he's not given four, five games to be have a bad run because he loses his job. So if you've got someone in place who is maintaining the ship, who is giving a philosophy out there, who is focused on the strategy and long-term incomings from a financial point of view, it does somewhat ease the pressure off a manager. Um, a lot of great comments yes. coming in here, guys. I'm loving it. Don't be afraid to talk to each other, which I'm seeing is happening with Nicholas and Marcus. A bit of a bromance going. Scott, you might want to get in there. I think uh, I think there might be a new a new relationship uh, budding. Uh, Wonga, um, one yes. thing I want to ask you is when we're looking at bringing in players and now this new strategy, what I read today was Dembele as a possible target for United and an Arsenal. Now, mm. when we're looking at all of this in terms of where both clubs are at, hypothetically mm. speaking, which one is still more attractive for a player like Dembele to go to, if any of them are? Yes, I'll uh, shoot to, to my to my next to my next meeting, but it's it's crazy it's a crazy time of the year, man. Um, but but 
Tottenham Dembele should come to Man United. What's he going to do at Arsenal? He doesn't want to be in the Europe. <laughs> Cheers. We're talking about relegation sure. candidates uh, just now, so you can you guys can ease off bantering each other because that that's coming both your ways. Oh wow! <laughs> well, I suppose just just your way because Celo has taken a, a a sneaky exit. Yeah. <laughs> No, Dembele, sure. I mean, I, I look at the guy, jeez, I think everyone looks at him. And you're like, what? Uh, we talk about the same Dembele, the one at Barcelona, right? Just, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Dembele. Yeah, that's yeah, he's, yeah, he's a left foot, right foot, uh, long range, speed. Uh, he's got it all in him for a winger. Um, can take you on 1v1 and just you watch him play. And you, obviously, any player would have that in his team. I don't care what reason you want to tell me. I would want that guy in my team, 100%. If it means my 72 million Pepe must sit on the bench, then uh, yeah, he must sit on the bench. <laughs> well, he's, already, he's, he's already sitting on the bench, though. That's the problem yeah, you okay. have. I think it is, yeah, yeah. That's, the, <laughs> see, that's the problem as well. And you see, that's now also links up to like your your. This goes on to now agents and sporting directors. Also, they need to they now look at all of this stuff and have to now decide what's the best fit fit for this guy. But someone like Dembele obviously is not going to be. He's not going to be wanting. He's not going to be having second fiddle, especially if he's going to leave Barcelona. He's going to be wanting to get um, first team plays. So, and probably ask, at the moment, I think he could start in an Arsenal team, hundred percent, left or the right. He could start in Arsenal right now. Yeah, uh, right and now. I think he would be very helpful. Yeah, but one of the issues, and Scott mentioned this. I love that he mentioned this because one of the issues I find anyway is that he's got a terrible reputation yes. for his professionalism. And apart from that, if we've got to take that into consideration, so it's going to need a strong man manager, both I don't think mm-hmm. Ali can handle or an Arteta at this moment in time, maybe mm-hmm. a season from now. But the other thing is he's very, very injury prone. So you're going to be spending, the outlay is going to be hefty for a player that has the talent but might only be playing like 30% of your game. So is it worth it in the long term? Yeah, long term. Yeah, consider that as well. Yeah, that's one thing I did forget. Um, long term. I personally wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't take that risk. Uh, you're gonna have the guy for, you're gonna have the guy for a, a good season, maybe. Um, he's been at Barcelona for how many years now? I don't think he's really played a whole season out um, till the end. And if he did, you, everyone knows. I mean, he would have, he, he would be brilliant um, in the team. But yeah, his attitude is, it's, I've heard, is a big problem. I think the one day he said he was late for training because he's playing PlayStation <laughs> at Barcelona. Jeez, and Barcelona still. They just punished him, I think, and they, they try and rectify the problem. I was like, wow. I, I was, yeah, it's definitely, definitely we're in, we're in a different time and people are becoming more understanding. I think uh, back in the days, uh, Dembele right now would be at home with his parents um, <laughs> looking for a job, maybe uh, studying right now. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> back in the day, we, they would not have taken that nonsense. They said, this guy is not for us. He's someone else's problem take him away but now they're trying they really now in soccer they're trying to really 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 make use of the of the potential in the player but still i still think Dembele would be a waste he would always i don't think he'll get rid of that problem with his attitude i don't I think, think he's kind of i think he's kind of killed his career a little bit look the opportunity's clearly got a good agent because these opportunities seem to be rumored they they seem to be around the corner for him one thing i'll never forget is we watched the game when barcelona came out here to soccer city to play a friendly yeah. against uh, sundowns and I'll never forget him having his D-squared cap on. Everyone's come out in the Barcelona kit after the game, you know, getting their little award ceremony. And he comes out with his D-squared cap and Suarez and Messi, like, hit his cap off his head and, like, start chirping him, saying, what the hell are you doing? And then he got all sad. And I was just like, dude, that's – you don't do that. That's, it comes – filters down to the bottom. And the fact that the, he can't even wear, like, your proper uniform begs to, like, a whole bigger, bigger issue. But one thing, Wonga, something that really excites you, and I think the next topic we need to be discussing is video analysis and where that plays a role within football and currently how it's being implemented. And more importantly, the difference of the implementation locally here in South Africa versus globally and how and why it should and would be a success if applied correctly. So I know I threw a lot of things at you, but in terms of your overall understanding, what do you think about this? Yeah, look, video analysis is... Yeah, it's basically if people. I'm pretty sure you all know what it is, but basically, I'll just say it, I'll just say it is basically the guys looking at they're using videos um, to help to help um, teach uh, the players 
um, on errors or try to help them expose. Uh, yeah, but it's basically used. It's just basically using video to teach video from the past to teach people now, so they don't, uh, so they correct what they're going to do in the future. I think that's how that's a good way to put it. Um, and I think in um, obviously, if you say local, we are years behind. I think more than ten. We are, we are definitely a decade behind. Uh, more than a decade behind. Um, teams overseas are using them with the development squads. They're using them. Um, I mean, uh, sorry, grassroots. They're using a development, um, not just um, in the, not just with their first teams. But I mean, you see it with the first teams. You know, every 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 person now is having um, a video analysis and video analysis guy next to them. I think Germany. Um, did come out with that when they took uh, which World Cup was it? Was it uh, two? No, not oh six. That's too far back. That's it was. I think it was twenty twenty sixteen, where they uh, Germany took uh, where they thrashed. Um, what's his name? Brazil eight, eight nil. And people are you know getting on the fact that hey look Germany actually just played. Um, the the news came out that they, these guys they looked at they looked at. Uh, the way Brazil played, they analyzed it, they found a few weaknesses, and they literally played to what they were, were made to do and they and, and and what they were coached to do and they and they managed to punish them. Um but yeah, in Germany they've got a, a long stance of way they're using it and they're developing like crazy. The stuff they're using now, I've never seen in my life. Uh, um and if I look at some of the stuff they're doing in twenty ten, I, I still haven't seen some of that stuff now. So <laughs> yeah, we're far behind us that front. And but if you look at I think locally, I know um and I, I, I maybe some video and maybe maybe now it's changed, but I remember when I first did my first course in uh not my first one, I think it was I think it was my C license. I had many some some videos, some guys who were doing video analysis at other clubs. I'm not too sure if there's they were just I think there was there was one guy I know who came from a certain club, and I think there was a second guy who was there. But they were saying that look, their job, they love it, they do it, um, they give insights. But what there's a problem when the the insight is passed on to the the coach is that and the players, sometimes yeah. yeah, and the players. It's just that some people they don't they don't buy into what the guy is saying or. In fact, yeah. the coach sometimes just cancels them out immediately. And that's where they have the problem is that they're there and they're working. But that was years ago. So it might change now. I think people are probably still trying to, are moving, are trying to accept it now. Uh, because if it's working there in Europe for 10 years, it's definitely going to work. It means it's definitely working. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, there's just a bit of a... I think we're still going through an early phase of it this side. Um, but yeah. that's why I say, yeah, we, we definitely but, but 15 years. You know what's interesting now. about that is that a lot of the, the analytics that's been created as again we, we talk about it it's these sort of students these students these guys that love data the guys that know how to find the data and they come up with the software and they do these things so the issue is you have the football guys like you spoke about the managers and the players they're somewhat opposed to this because one it's a bit of homework two it kind of undermines mm -hmm. their overall authority but in three it's just a, it's a little bit more work and i like um i like the fact that marcus mentions bielsa as an example because that is how and it, like your football analysis can play to an advantage of a side if you are open to it. And more importantly, you know how to yes. use the data that you're wanting to collect. There's something different yes. saying here's data. Then there's two in terms of interpreting the data. And then three, there's the application mm. of the data. And also when you, mm. when you find yourself in a situation where you have a player and you're telling the player as a coach going, hey, man, um, you need to be doing this. You, you probably like two meters too far up the pitch. And the player goes, no, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. When you do yes. have some sort of uh, video footage, it's validation to the coach to show the player who then can see pretty much what he needs to do. And when they were talking about implementing the analytics, one of the key things that these guys have said is that for football and for coaches and for players, it is huge that they are able to see the video footage apart from just graphs and numbers. Because when they see yeah. the graphs and numbers, their minds aren't inclined that way. So as soon as you can show them, then there's, it's a huge difference for the level of processing. Yes, I think even in, uh, yeah, uh, the coaching courses, they'll teach you um, uh, with, however you do it. But you have to, when a player has made a mistake, you have to show him what error, what was, what was the error. And then you have to now correct what the error was. Do you get what I'm saying? And you, yeah. in that sense, you're right. Is that now when you're showing the guy, like, no, you, you've done it like this. 
you're doing this and this. And he's thinking he said, no, this guy's talking cock. I mean, well, nowadays you're going to get that <laughs> with the kid. He'll be, the yeah. kid's always, nowadays the kids are smarter than you. Like, nah, that's how he does it. Then you show him. I mean, I know you need the money and stuff to do it. But what, what I'm trying to put in is it, it, it definitely does help um, a player, especially when they can't and, and they can't understand what what you're doing. It does make things a bit easier that you now you're looking at it from a view that you're not seeing. You know, you're seeing it from his view and you're like, oh, okay, this is what he wants. And then you're able to give the guy exactly what he wants. Um, but now saying that now, Claudio, um, yeah. that assumption can't be made now. Is that, and that's where Gavin, uh, I remember we, 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 read a, we read an article where Gavin Hunt was saying that uh, video analysis is overrated. Um, that's so, then, so for those of you, Scott, who don't know who Gavin Hunt is, that is currently he's Kaiser Chiefs head coach. And he's come out recently saying that video analysis is overrated. Continue on there. Yeah. So just just to be also, um, I went and I said, look, you can't, I mean, that's not right. You can't say that, you know, definitely, definitely not overrated. But then I read further into what he said. Obviously, they read the headlines. They write, they write the stuff to, so people can read. And that's what I did. I opened the headline and he, he said his reasoning was, yes, you can get the video. And I think he agrees with that, that look, you, the videos can be used to see where the where the team strengths are, where the weaknesses are, where, the, where and spot all those things that you want to spot. But he says now, I think his problem now is actually, um, how do you say, he's actually utilizing the that all that data that you guys got. And in terms of the players, he says now, you've got one thing, like, okay, now you know they're weak down the left-hand side. Let's say we must cross, switch the ball that side as quickly as you can. But if the players don't do or can't do what you need them to do to 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 expose those to uh, those threats, it's 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 pointless, and that I can't argue with him. So yeah. then that and, now and, becomes a, a coaching thing and development, you know. Yeah. And you know what? That that is that's an issue we face here generally within our football de- development as as it is. I think the standard of education generally within the country is pretty low. So as soon mm. as you offer our local players the opportunity to go through whatever documentation or data it is in order to improve the game, one, it's hard for them to grasp. Two, they don't have the right professionalism. And then three, it just seems like a little bit more work for them so they don't go into it. I remember personally speaking when Jason, I don't know if Jason's still watching, but when we were playing Varsity Cup and he came up with a video analysis and they gave us back the feedback for me as a player, I thought it was incredible because I knew exactly what I had to expect from the opposing player or the opponent I had to face that game. I knew exactly in terms of what I was doing correctly and what I wasn't doing, positioning on the field. Look, naturally, I, I knew where to be on the field. I mean, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, it was good validation in terms of having the communication with the other guys. I mean, the, the amount of depth these guys are going into, one of the examples are from if, if a coach wants to focus on improving the positioning from a, from a, a throw-in, they'll get these guys to create algorithms to just then focus on the footage that they receive to focus on throw-ins and highlight the positioning in terms of where players should be and whether or not they are there. And that's the fascinating thing behind all of this, which is the part that really excites me. Um, Scott says, video analysis courses in Scotland now have, which I've completed. Well done, Scott. That's incredible. You need to give us feedback Mm. on that sometime soon. Some of the people that were on the course were next-level data. Yeah. And I mean, Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim are a great example. I think Red Bull, another great example. They've literally got a room dedicated to touchscreens, dedicated to identifying the amount of uh, kilometers the players have run. It's just, and whatever, mm-hmm. again, I suppose Dart is only as useful as the, the answer you are looking for in terms of the questions that you are posing, which is super cool. Um, so the next thing, the next thing we want to talk about, Wonga, and this is something that brings us back to the Premier League, are relegation candidates. Who are your relegation, relegation candidates? I know we've been speaking a lot about what's going to happen in terms of the push for the title, but now we need yeah. to look into the guys that are pretty much going to go down. Down. Yeah, down, I don't like uh, dooming teams, but uh, if I look at the bottom four right now, um, I think, yeah, the teams above there, but if I look at, I mean, all of them, uh, look at your Wolves, uh, just there's a lot of teams that actually can cause problems um, and take points uh, from teams. And I think, <laughs> Newcastle, <laughs> throwing one there at... Uh... Yeah, yeah, at Nick. Yeah, 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 we do want to mention Newcastle. We do want to mention that. Yeah, yeah sorry, Wonga, you're saying. If I, I mean, look, you've got to, if you want to get out of the relegation zone, it's, 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 a scrappy, it's a scrappy business and you've got to be picking up points. Um, so if I look at the teams that are there now, 
um, at the current state. If they carry on like this, it's obviously not doom and gloom. It's early in the season, but if they carry on like this, definitely I'm seeing um, I'm, I'm seeing what's um, I wrote it down because I couldn't remember. It was West Brom, Burnley, um, Sheffield, and if you look at the way they've been playing as well, uh, collecting points for them has been difficult. They're hitting losses, conceding goals, not scoring goals. Um, sure, and, and and for me the most the, the thing there is they it's not that they're conceding or or or, or or scoring less goals, they, they're not collecting points. They could draw and collect a point, but they're not collecting points. They could have collected seven, you know, if they had draws flat out, but yeah. they're losing. They're not collecting the points. And I think that's that's very, very it's a it's a it's a bad early it's a bad start, let's put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I and I suppose the biggest thing for all these clubs that gen, gen, uh, tend to find themselves at the bottom are the mm. fact that they aren't scoring goals. That's the yes. biggest issue for them. At least when you're looking at a Brighton, you're looking at Fulham. I mean, Brighton at least have scored 11 goals currently. From Fulham, Fulham onwards, or downwards rather, they've mm. scored seven goals. After that, it's six, three, uh, six goals, three goals, four goals. So Brighton by themselves are creating chances. They've scored nearly double the amount of goals, which means somewhat they might have their defense, defensive frailties, but at least they can get the ball in the back of the net. The other guys currently, yes. I think that's the biggest issue when you're looking at a relegation candidate. You've got Mitrovic, for Fulham, who's meant to be somewhat of a saving grace because he's got the experience and the know-how in terms of playing in the Premier League. The issue is around him, he doesn't really have that. If we're looking at a Burnley, they would want that takeover to happen sooner rather than later because currently they've got no options up front. They've got no, and, all, and for the yeah. side, all they've got to do is be organized and structured. But if you don't have anyone putting a ball in the back of the net, you're pretty much fucked, to be honest. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. And but like again, I also don't think Fulham and Brighton are, are far away from it. Just like you say, they're in a better position. Um, but those other teams, the the nice thing now is that they do have time. I I, I just yeah, it is a good it's a nice topic to talk, but I think it, I think at the end of the day they, they still do have a bit of time to fix um what um their problems. It and their problems, yeah, they will have it'll have to be a quick fix. I mean now they still, now they they're trying to survive. They want to make yeah. sure that next year they're in the Premier League. So they just need whatever. If it's a quick fix, whatever, they must get it. They must take it um, if they do not want to get uh, relegated. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, Sheffield is a, a you know, really interesting team to be talking about rather because if you're looking in terms of how they performed last season, they kind of, yes. not kind of, they did. They punched above their weight. They played a certain style. You know, they were good on the eye. Yes. They were attractive. They were organized. Now they're currently in a situation where they don't know which front players to be playing. They've spent a bit of money on a Brewster, untested in the mm. Premier League, a young player with yeah. a lot of potential. Do I think that was the right move for him? Personally, I don't. I think there's, there's a lot for the man to do, or the boy rather, to be doing at a club like that. But when you're looking at them, he also doesn't know right now who his best combination is. He's got Mac, uh, Mac Goldrick, who scored two goals. But ironically, the two goals that he has scored <laughs> has been in the two games in which he's played 90 minutes. The rest of the other mm. games he's featured in, he's been either taken off or he's been brought on, which mm. tells me there isn't sort of like a conviction in terms of how they want to approach the game when they're moving forward, which is a big, big issue. Um, yeah. Obviously, we, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Wonga. Yeah, yeah, like even that, that, that Malholdrick, <laughs> I forgot these names, but I watched the two games that he played and, you know, someone like that, yeah, maybe there's a different reason why he doesn't start him, but someone like that, he should be starting. He shouldn't be... Uh, it shouldn't be. It's a, a no-brainer. I mean, I I don't really watch Sheffield United, but I mean, gee, someone like that, I think definitely he's he's got a chance to be starting in uh, in in all the squad. And um, I think he, I watched the one he played against was Chelsea. Can't remember, but yeah. But nonetheless, like you say, he should be starting all the time. And now you've got the stats that tell you that look, this guy's is we. I put him on ninety minutes and we we scoring. So why don't we just. Uh, <laughs> Just stick once, let's it. see what happens. Yeah, let's stick with it. Um, that's what the stats are telling us. Let's see if it will continue. Um, it's, it's, I think in their position, it's not a bad gamble. It's not a bad gamble. At, any, at, this, at this point in time, they need to, yeah, they, like I said, they're scrapping for points and, and I think they just use anything that they have. Yeah, and I th- I th- do we dare throw Lees in the same conversation? I know we've, they've, got, they've got a mastermind in Bielsa. We know that you know, they're a well-drilled team, but Nick has pointed this out, Mr. T-Rex arms. I don't know if you noticed that in Scott's comment. He put all T-Rex next to the Newcastle. Anyway. Oh, and, that's um, what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, thought, I thought it was a plant. I'm like, why is he putting a leaf next to it? was a baby T-Rex. Like it. it was a baby T-Rex. Anyway, if we're looking at a, at a Leeds and what Nick said previously is that the intensity at which they are playing currently, 
can they sustain that throughout the course of the season? It's a it's a tough tough ask when you when you're playing against these teams that have bigger squads. Um, so would they be able to keep that up? Or I mean, if one of these teams hits a bad run, which is what the bottom three are currently hitting, I mean, it's six games without a win for the, the three bottom sides. I think Fulham got lucky with one of the wins in which they had, and they could have possibly like gotten a draw through West Ham. But at Leeds United, will we see them fighting or scrapping at the bottom there? No. I I, I also had a bit of doubt with, uh, <laughs> with mixed beliefs uh, in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh <Rikwonga. laughs> so, uh, so I also had a bit of doubt about Leeds in the beginning, but I remember Nick was uh, very confident uh um with how they perform. And they they've come out um oh no what but Nick wasn't saying that Nick was saying that they'd, they'd actually get into trouble with the way they play. I remember he said that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but it's 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 tested out they they actually they're actually working for them. And I think, yes, in the long run, um, you no, know, that's the question you, you do ask. But then you also look at now, Liverpool have just been uh, smashed by, an, uh, by the international break and, and COVID. Um, yeah, yeah. And the other teams have probably got a couple of things in there. Um, Leeds, I don't know how many people Leeds have taken to international duty. I, I think there's probably those one. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't. I think Leeds that have that in their favour, and I don't think they're involved in too many cups as well. So they could, they could see themselves. I mean, lost. I mean, especially now we've only got three subs as well. Other guys have only got five. Teams are playing in uh, four different cups. Yeah, it's, I think Leeds still do have something on their side. I, I don't see them honestly. I don't see them even touching close to bottom. Well, that's that's pretty bold. Do yeah. you think they're going to be all right? I mean, technically, I think they'll be all right. I mean, technically, then you're also saying. I mean, Man United currently on the same amount of points as Leeds. Arsenal are only two points above above the others. West Ham and Newcastle. Above, I'm actually pretty sad that Nick and Rich aren't here because this would have been a great conversation to have with them. I would have loved to hear Scott Scott uh, telling Nick <laughs> where where to stick it. But Newcastle and West Ham. The only thing they have for them is they bit of they. Their performances are inconsistent enough, and they are a bit of yo-yo side in terms of going up and down. But they do have yeah. a bit more quality than the guys at the bottom. And Marcus has said it perfectly. He said West Brom and Fulham. Out of the bottom three that you mentioned, Wonga, you've got West, uh, West Brom, Burnley, and Sheffield. If you throw Fulham in the mix there, which one do you think mm. survives? Who survives out of the four? Um, out of the four. I, I think Brighton make it. I think they make it just purely on the players that they have. I think a guy like Lerone is going to help them through with the experience. Yep. I, you know, Sheffield at the bottom, but I see one the... point. One point at the bottom. Come on now. One they point. Are, they're struggling there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> they're struggling, but I, I watched them play, Claudio. There was some. Hey, but that's the thing. Yeah, no, it's just glimpse and glimpse. But the, the question is consistency. Uh, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, yeah, if you realistically, if I take those five, if I say West Brom, Burnley, Sheffield, Fulham, Brighton, uh, Brighton, Brighton come out, and and. I would just say based on past experience, but then they need to, they, they, they definitely need to make some changes there um, uh, during the transfer window is Burnley. Um, yeah. So if, they Burnley can, if they get the injection, if they get the injection, if can, yeah, if they can get that right, they definitely out of that. So they definitely out of that. So Brighton and Burnley out of that for me. But I think at the end of the day, I think it will just be those teams. What Based on how they've, how they've been playing. <laughs> Burnley times two, boy. Burnley, the eight, their first team and their second team are getting relegated, according to Scott, which would make sense on paper, I suppose. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. Nah, I, I think they make. I think they make it out. I think they make it out. But I think at the. I think um, one thing I. I don't want to damn them, but I think those five are there the the, the whole season. They are scrapping and they're fighting. The other guys on top, I looked at them, I, I just don't see them. I see them picking out points here and there during the season, and that's important to stay above, to stay afloat. But the other ones, I see, I see them struggling. I think that's easy pickings, eh? Um, you got your Leicester, Man City. Oof. But again, there's COVID. Those, those are exciting topics for us to talk about on pretty yeah. much Muti. Yeah, uh, so so I think, uh, Wonga, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been absolutely fun. I agree with the sentiment yeah. that Bernie... 
is going to go relegated. So I'm siding with Scott. I feel like they've got the Stoke vibe about them. They've been there for a long time. They haven't changed too much. They've stuck with the same sort of principle, and I think they're going to come short now because they haven't kept up with the time. So okay. that's pretty much my final sentiment. Fulham are definitely going down. I don't think they're good enough. And I think Brighton will survive. Ah, Sheffield are the interesting one for me. If they can, like you said, they've been yes. good in games. They've been very good in games. It's just yes. that they've been unlucky. But for me, January is going to important, be important for all these sides. They're going to have to bring someone who can hit the ground running, who's going to hit the back of the net. That's what they need. And that's the only way these guys are going to survive. But Sheffield also, they, they, the opponents they've played have actually been, I think they've played all, you know, they've played many of the top six. Oh, well, I don't even know what to call them anymore. Many of the stronger teams, let's say like that. <laughs> Some of the teams yeah. they've played they've all over the yeah. But let's say that they've played many of the stronger teams and they they flat bottom. But yeah, it will be interesting to see. It's the Premier League after all. Eh? Yeah. And on that note, thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you guys on Thursday for pre-match Mooty. If you haven't liked, if you haven't subscribed, go do that. And also, if you want to be part of our Discord community, just drop an email. You'll see uh, my, my email address down at the bottom. We'll send you the link and then you can enjoy or take part in the banter that we are busy having currently on the Discord channel. So feel free to do that. And we'll see you guys on Thursday, same time. Thank you very much, guys. One guy, last words? Not last words. Um, Arsenal, Arsenal top four. Check you guys. <laughs>